Welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. Chapter 1, verse 17, the last verse of chapter 1, and then all of chapter 2 is what we'll look at uh, this morning. It's great to have another pastor on staff who I know filled the pulpit uh, wonderfully over the last two weeks. Uh, Thankfully, that was already planned for him to fill it the last two weeks. Uh, The only that wasn't planned was for me to get COVID while I was in Anaheim uh, at our convention. And so um, now that I'm over that, I was supposed to be here with you last week. I am thrilled to be with you you. How do people miss more than two weeks of church in a row? I feel so disconnected when I miss being with God's people. I'm so thankful to be back with you this morning. I had a great time in Anaheim. Uh, Just so you know, uh, because of your faithful giving, uh, we commissioned 52 new missionaries to go around the world to preach the gospel to the nations. That's one of the few things that happened this week, but that's one thing I particularly wanted you to know, that we are sending more and more missionaries around the world to tell of the gospel of Jesus. Jesus Christ. As we go through our summer, we're going to be looking through Jonah. And one reason I tell you that is because uh, we see that Jonah was sent on mission. And I think Jonah, my prayer through this book, that it would tell us something about our mission to River Ridge. What has God called us to do in this time, in this place, in this city? That's my prayer throughout of this, that God would give us a missionary heart as we work through this book throughout the summer, however many more weeks this May take. As I've been reading through Jonah, this is just a side personal note over the past uh, couple weeks, and particularly this week, Jonah starts to appear to me almost like this dark, tragic comedy that you would see coming out of some sort of foreign film festival. Like black and white, it's greatly ironic and it's very reflective, causing us to ask questions about our our own heart. It's almost absurd at times where you hear of this great fish swallowing Jonah, as we hear this morning, then spit back on dry land, this fish that listens to the command of the Lord, and this prophet who doesn't listen to the command of the Lord, this, this Jonah who's going deeper and deeper and farther and farther and down and down and down away from the presence of the Lord. It's a beautifully written text is what I want to get across to you. It's a beautifully written text, smartly written, absolutely historical, causing us to ask questions about our own hearts and our own commitments to the calling that the Lord has placed on our life. As I mentioned a second ago, I love the book of Jonah because it's very smartly written. I believe Aaron brought this out that Jonah is going down, 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 down. God has caused him to go to Nineveh and Jonah goes down. What is it? At first it says he goes down to to, to, to Joppa. Then he goes down into the ship and then he goes down into the belly of the ship and then he goes down into the farthest reaches of the ship, then he goes down into sleep and down into the ocean, down into the water, down into the roots of the mountain, as he says in his prayer this morning. Jonah is going down, 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 down. And another thing we'll see introduced this morning, and we'll get to more of this in the weeks to come, is four times we hear the Lord appoints something. This morning we'll hear the first one, that the Lord appointed a fish, perhaps a whale, whatever this, this fish might be, a, a whale. And then we're going to see he appointed a, a weed to grow to go over Jonah. Then he appointed a, a worm to eat the weed. Then he appointed a western wind, a eastern wind to blow over Jonah. So four times we see this picked up. It's a very smartly written book. 
Jonah causes us to reflect. It ends with a question, don't you care about the cattle on a thousand hills? A very strange way to end the book, but it ends with a question causing us the question of what we truly care about as people who have experienced the steadfast love of the Lord. In all of this, let's be clear that this is not allegory and this is not a parable. Jonah is a real prophet. We see him mentioned in the book of Kings. Jonah is his historical narrative. He's one of God's prophets, and it, but it is through the message of this prophet and even the life of this prophet that we see God speaking to us and asking the question, if we believe the grace and mercy of God is for all kinds of people, will we go and tell them? Will we care about them? Or do we believe, as we'll begin to see as this story progresses, do we think that what is meant for me the grace and mercy and the steadfast love of God is not meant for them. Do we hoard the grace of God? And so that's one of the questions that Jonah is going to cause us to ask by what God does in his life. I want to point out a few things this morning. The first thing I want to point out is the decline of Jonah. After the decline of Jonah, we want to see him going from decline to revival. And then after that, we're going to see five sure signs that Jonah is being revived in the belly of this fish. So the first thing I want you to see in this text this morning is the decline of Jonah. The down, 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 downward spiral of Jonah. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17. Let's read that verse first again. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. As I mentioned a second ago, Jonah is going down, 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 down. And Jonah is not just getting farther and farther incrementally away from Nineveh. Remember where God has told him to go preach to the Ninevites. We don't know why he hasn't gone there. We know it's a big city and it's an evil city and Uh, The Ninevites were very difficult people. Uh, They were harsh people, and so perhaps Jonah fears for his life. We don't know yet. Chapter 3 and 4 is going to be to reveal that a little bit more, so we're going to kind of hold on to that right now. But we know right now that he's going away from the calling of the Lord. Incrementally, he's getting farther and farther away spatially, but it's much more than that. It's much more serious than that. Jonah has not just gone down, 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 physically away. Jonah is in a spiritual decline. He has lost his devotion to the, to, to the Lord. As Jonah goes down, 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 he is declining physically, but more significantly, he is in a spiritual decline. How did he get into this depth of despair? It all started with one step the other way. God has called me to do something, but I'm going to buy a ticket to here. Then I'm going to get in the ship. Then I'm going to keep my mouth shut. Then I'm going to go down into the belly of the ship. And Jonah has got himself in this predicament one step at a time. And we see most clearly what's going on with Jonah is as he goes away from the Lord in the spiritual decline, we see it really particularly in two ways. And as he goes into the depths, Jonah is running from the word of the Lord the calling that God has given on his life to go to the Ninevites. And by the way, all of us as Christians have the great commission, go therefore into all the world, preaching the gospel, making disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And the Lord is with us, teaching them to do all that he has commanded. So we all have this commission to the world, by the way. Let's go ahead and put that out there. 
Jonah is running from the word of the Lord, the command of the Lord. And we see throughout chapter 1, several times this is mentioned, that Jonah is desperately trying to get away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah's fleeing God's calling on his life. He's trying to flee the presence of the Lord. And this is all going into personal spiritual decline. We haven't seen why he's running yet, but we know he's running. And so perhaps this is a message for all of those who feel like you're in spiritual decline right now. Who feel like you've gone to the bottom. You've tried to run from the presence of the Lord. You're trying to run from the the word of the Lord, the calling that God has put on your life. Know this, the story does not end there. The story doesn't end with Jonah going into the water and into the depths for the Lord appointed a fish. But, But why do we do this? Let's think about this a little more about the decline. We're running from the word of the Lord, the command of the Lord in our lives. We're trying to run from the presence of the Lord. Perhaps Jonah had built some sort of comfort zone around himself. That when God called him to do something difficult, he had determined that he was holier than God, wiser than God, and he would not do what the Lord had called him to do because he thought it would cost too much. Too much of his life, too much of his time, too much of his resources. So he said, God, I will go this far, but no, no farther. Perhaps that's where you are right now, struggling with that same thing. We'll find out later why he is so adamant on not going, but let's stop and say this for now, that as we kind of build these comfort zones, God, I will do this, but no more. As we run from the word of God and the presence of God, we often find good reasons that we think are pretty good. We make reasons why we can't go to Nineveh. We make reasons why we can't do this. We make reasons why we can't do that. And not only that do we make our reasons, but we also expend great effort in maintaining our comfort zone. This was no little task that Jonah was doing. He was actively running, buying tickets to other places, getting on ships, running away. He was taking great effort to avoid the calling of God on his life. I wonder if this is true for some of us. I hope this is not true for us as a church. When the task gets too hard or seems to be too much or isn't the task you imagined you would be assigned, we are prone to run with our reasons and our efforts all the while not asking the Lord to search God. Why am I doing this? Why am I disobedient? Why am I running? What is the root of this motivation? We're going to see why in a minute, but for a second we've got to just ask the question. Leave the question, why is he running from the presence? Why is he running from the word? Why is he finding this reasons? Why is he going through that? Why is he keeping this comfort zone that he will not go any farther? This is the attitude of declension, isn't it? As we decline spiritually, we have this attitude and we find reasons and we seek to protect ourselves and God says, I'll go this far but no farther. Maybe we say it like this, God, if God won't do it my way, the way I imagine to be best, then I'm out. I'm holier and wiser. We would never say that, but our actions might show otherwise. Today, sometimes you might hear that among church folks. If they don't do it my way, then count me out. Unless they die today, what I want to do, then I'm out. Not thinking that God might put other believers together to have other thoughts and other ways to reach this community for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We only know our way. If it's not my way, then I'm out. I'll come when you start doing it my way. It's the attitude that will begin to cause our hearts to decline, our spiritual lives, our church to decline. If we have this attitude of going down, 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 imagining ourselves to be wiser than the Lord 
himself. And this disobedience hardened Jonah, makes it more difficult for future obedience as his heart is now callous to the Lord. Jonah was running. Jonah deserved death. He knew that. He deserved the righteous wrath of God. He knew he deserved that. The sailors knew that. They even throw him overboard. And even the the surrounding seas and the raging seas bring that to mind. It was with Noah where the wrath of God overwhelms the world and floods the world that we see that Lord spares someone through the wrath, namely Noah and his family. But even these raging seas are certainly symbolic in showing us of the wrath of God upon him. Jonah deserves to be thrown into that wrath headlong. Jonah's come to this point in his decline where he knows that unless the Lord saves me, unless the Lord has appointed a way out of this, unless the Lord will make a way for me to go through these troubled waters that I deserve, unless the Lord does it, unless salvation comes from the Lord, then I'm a goner. I think spiritually we all come to this place at some point in our lives and maybe we've forgotten what the Lord has done in our lives. Maybe the Lord will call us to this this morning. So the Lord gets us to that point. Unless the Lord steps in, I'm done. So he's gone from decline. And now we're going to see that from decline, Jonah will be revived physically and, and spiritually. In the middle of the wrath, our only hope is for God's appointed provision. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. God appointed a way of salvation for this rebellious, hard-hearted prophet. Now, this may be hard for us to believe sometimes that was there really a fish big enough or perhaps a whale? For in, in, in these times, they would even call whales fish. And so don't get kind of hung up on that a little bit. But even so, it might have been a fish that swallowed up Jonah. It was just what last year that a lobster diver off, did you see this, off of um, the coast of Massachusetts? Did you see this off the coast of Cape Cod? He was diving for lobsters. And do you remember what happened? A whale swallowed him. And so he survived, not for three days and three nights, but for a moment in the mouth of a whale that was big enough to swallow him, and then it spit him out, and he survived to tell the story. But we don't need that story to kind of firm this up in our minds, because I don't know about you, but I depend upon the supernatural. I need God to step in supernaturally. I needed God to take on flesh and live the life that I could not live and die the death I deserved to raise to life again so that I might be spit out of the grave alive. And if God can do that, he can certainly make a fish big enough and appoint a fish big enough and preserve someone's life in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights. For Jesus even said this is the sign of Jonah. Jesus saw this as a historical story that spoke of his own life. And so I don't need the story of the lobster diver, though that's wonderful to hear. I just need the story of Scripture. Tell me, Lord, I believe in the supernatural because the only way that a sinner could be saved is by the supernatural act of an almighty God for God's provision to come. 
What Jonah probably imagined to be divine judgment as this whale or fish swallows him up proves to be the compassionate healing of the Lord. God provided what he thought might have been his damnation to bring him into the heart of the sea as he says, all the way to the bottom, God sent for his salvation. Jonah sees in this depth and in the depths and in God appointing this fish He sees in the depths God is pursuing him. God is gracious. This is going to come back later in the story, probably next week or the week after. God is gracious. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. I deserve to drown, but look, he saved me. He's abounding in steadfast love, relenting from disaster. Jonah is tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. He's tasting and seeing that this evil heart can be rescued by a gracious God. And isn't it true? Sometimes it's in our darkest moments, our deepest moments, our lowest moments when the most clarity comes. Jonah's in the belly of the fish in line. His revival starts. Look at chapter 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Just imagine this moment. Brought down to the depths of the sea. Brought down to the bottom. Brought down to the moment that unless the Lord acts, I'm doomed. And Jonah realizes, I'm alive. I'm alive in the belly of the fish. What else can I do but pray? I deserve judgment, and God has spared me. Jonah is learning, as you might say, in the school of hard knocks and hard lessons, that God is gracious. What if we realized this as a people? What if we realized this as a church? I think of Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, when the people of God are experiencing some very dry years. Habakkuk says, the prophet of the Lord says, Lord, I have heard the report of you. Lord, I stand in awe of you. Revive your work in these years. So imagine Jonah in the belly of the fish. He prayed. He's alive. He can speak to the Lord yet again. The Lord has not consumed him. Lord, revive me even in these depths. What if we started to pray like that as a church, Lord? Even right here, right now, in 2022, Lord, revive us now. Maybe personally you're thinking, God, I have gone all the way to the bottom. God, what could you do with a sinner like me that deserves so much? May he get your eyes on Christ and say, Lord, I will pray to you. Revive me in these years. In this day, right here. And right now, what if we started praying that? No matter where the Lord might have us. So Jonah begins. He's revived, physically revived. God has saved him in the belly of the fish. Spiritually, he's revived because now he's praying to the Lord. What are signs of this revival that we will see in the following text? In his prayer. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. He answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my Voice. Primarily, this is a prayer of thanksgiving. This is a prayer of thankfulness for the salvation that the Lord has provided for his people. But we see several, for him, particularly Jonah, we see several things, several signs throughout this prayer that I want to point out to you this morning. So Jonah's declined. God has saved him physically and spiritually. Jonah lives to tell about God, revive me in, this, in these years. 
about five things we see in this prayer. Number one, that Jonah, so what are signs of revival? Number one, that you have been humbled under the hand of God. We saw that in our prayer this morning in 1 Peter chapter 5. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, and at the proper time, he will exalt you. Jonah has been humbled under the mighty hand of God. Listen to what he says in verse 3 of this prayer. For you, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the sea, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. God brought this calamity upon his life in order to bring Jonah back to him. For one who was running from the grace of God, God acted in his life in this mighty way. Then he said, I am driven from your sight. Yet again, I shall look upon your holy temple. Jonah was humbled. What is the sign that God is reviving your heart? You are humbled under the mighty hand of God. Certainly Jonah was physically humbled here. And certainly he was spiritually humbled, realizing his true spiritual condition. He is humbled knowing that if he were to get from what he deserved, he would stay in the bottom of that sea, that God has every right to banish him from the kingly sight, his kingly sight. Look at verse 4. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Jonah knows that this righteous king has every right, his God, his king, his Lord, the God of all creation, has the right to look at this rebellious one and say, get out of my sight forever. That's what he's earned. That's what he deserves. And he has humbled himself. God has humbled him, I should say, under the mighty hand of God. Don't mistake the humbling of our God as though you are hopeless. Perhaps it's that point that the Lord will begin to revive you in this overwhelming situation that he found himself in. Jonah is without excuse, and he knows that. But in the belly of the fish, in this preamble to a spiritual awakening, Jonah is realizing his nothingness. That I am nothing, but create something in me. I am dead in my sin and trespasses. But God, would you raise me to life in Jesus Christ? There is no room in the belly of a fish for self-sufficiency. That we can get ourselves out of this if we just work harder. He knows that. He's been humbled under the mighty hand of God and knows that God must act if he is going to once again be in the glorious presence of his God. That brings us to point number two. Not only is Jonah humbled under the mighty hand of God, Jonah, we see now, is thirsting for the presence of God. This is something the sailors were really after. These pagan sailors were after early in the story, remember? Like, pray to your God. If this is the reason your calamity is coming upon you, pray to your God. I, I recently heard that unbelievers are often perplexed when they come into worship services because there is so little prayer. And God's people care so little about prayer. Well, why would you not talk to the one who made you, the one who worshipped you, if you really believe he could do what he did? Why do you spend so little time in prayer? These people on this boat at, that had thrown them off say, dude, Pray. Pray, man, seek God's face. And he refused to do that. But now in the belly of the fish, God is humbled to him and he's once again seeking the very presence of God. And maybe our message here this morning is for heaven's sakes, pray. Pray. You've been humbled under the mighty hand of God. Pray. And there's hope in this prayer. Look, he's longing again. Look at verse four again. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. He's experienced the joy of his salvation again, the grace of the Lord. He's thankful for that the salvation belongs to the Lord and not to him. 
It's not based on his work, but the work of Christ, the work of the Lord himself, raising him to life. Jonah is being brought back to the beginning of his salvation. And Jonah is once again praying. What the ancient sailors had caused him to think about, he's now actually doing. He's thirsting for the presence of God. And he's doing it once again. I will look upon your temple. I will pray to the Lord yet again. Like the prodigal son, I will arise and go to my father. And he will embrace me in his arms. My father is good. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love, abounding in loving kindness forever and ever. Jonah is thirsting from the presence of God. He's knowing the only way that we can find hope and salvation from the wrath of God is in the presence of a loving God himself. He's seeking the presence of the Lord. In his distress, he cries out. In his banishment, he has hope that yet I shall look again. He says in verse 7, when I am fainting away, I remember the Lord. Look at verse 7. And my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Keep praying. Keep seeking his presence those who long to be revived to the joy of your salvation. Jonah is humbled under the mighty hand of God. And that's okay. That can be a good thing. That is a good thing. Jonah thirsted for the presence of God. And one that might not be so clear at first is Jonah is hungering for the word of God. You say, where do you see this? If you have a Bible that has cross references in it, the one I preach is a pretty plain Jane Bible, so it doesn't. But if you look in the column or the footnotes of your Bible, if you have a cross reference Bible, you realize that this prayer that Jonah is crying out to the Lord is all, if not directly quoted or paraphrased, Psalms or other parts of Scripture. Jonah has in his heart the word of the Lord. Jonah has in his heart the word of the Lord. So as he's in the bottom, as he's been humbled, as he's seeking the presence of the Lord, namely through prayer, we see that what's coming out of the mouth of Jonah is the word of God back to God in praise to God. That is something for us to cling to. Oftentimes, the quickest thing churches can get tired of is prayer and Bible study. We have enough of that already, right? We need to do something else. The Bible says that elders devoted themselves to prayer and the teaching of the Word. We should never tire of that. We should never grow weary of that. For we will find in our darkest moments what will come out of our mouth is seeking the presence of the Lord, namely through the Word of God, praying the Word of God back to Him. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Psalm 119 says this, how can a man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. My soul clings to the dust. Give me life according to your word. Sinclair Ferguson, I just recently heard him say, he's a, a pastor and a theologian, says revive people. Maybe this is a hope for myself. This is why I drew it out. Revive people, make moderate preachers into giants. In other words, they long for the Word of God so much that all they long to hear, tell us more about Christ in His Word. And so Jonah, 
He was humbled under the mighty hand of God. What is, what is a sign of the spiritual revival? In your life? You've been humbled under the mighty hand of God. You're seeking the presence of the Lord, namely through prayer. The word of the Lord is, is a hunger in your life and out of your mouth. Your very life is coming from the word of God. You have a burning heart for the presence of the Lord. You have a burning heart and a burning craving for Bible study and prayer. That's what you're after. That's what we see in Jonah throughout this prayer. And off number four, just a couple more here. Jonah became a man rededicated to the will of God. He knew that God was not done with him yet. He had disobeyed. He had run. Look at verse 9. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. You'll see in a couple weeks that Jonah's not perfect yet. He still has some heart issues that need to be sorted out. But the Lord is doing something in his life. The Lord is doing something in his life, and he is saying, now I am rededicated to vow what I promised to the Lord. What God has called me to do, I will go after. What God forbids, I will reject, but what God commands, I will do. Jonah, in this prayer where he's seeking the presence of the Lord, as he is proclaiming how humbled he has been to the depths of the sea, as Jonah is, from his mouth is coming the word of the Lord, now Jonah is saying, God, wherever you lead, I will follow. Wherever you lead, I'll go. If it's my neighbor, if it's across the world, I will go because you called me to do it. And I will do it, no matter the cost. Jonah still has some hard issues to figure out, but God is doing something in his life. The fifth thing, the final thing, Jonah becomes concerned about the salvation of others. He's starting to care about these Ninevites a little bit. He still has some hard issues you're going to see. But for now, God is birthing in his heart at least in a glimmer, a care for those who don't know the steadfast love of the Lord. Look at verse 8. This is going to be important for pushing on from here in coming weeks. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Jonah recognizes and prays to the Lord and his heart's not there yet. At least with his mouth he's proclaiming. That those who are worshiping things other than the one true living God, the one who are after vain idols, they are forsaking the steadfast love of the Lord. This steadfast love that I've felt and tasted and seen, this steadfast love that will lift you out of the miry, dark, seaweed-covered floor of the sea, the one who would bring you up out of death, the steadfast love of the God, the outrunnable love and grace of God, I want them to experience that. For I've experienced that myself, that salvation belongs to the Lord. God has saved me. And who knows, these folks that are paying regard to vain idols, perhaps one day they will see and know the grace of the Lord as I have. And then ironically, this prophet who disobeyed the word of the Lord, this God-appointed fish, The Lord tells him to spit Jonah out, and this fish listens, ironically, right away, and it vomited Jonah out on dry land. God is gracious. He's slow to anger. Imagine getting up on that beach or that rocky shore, wherever it was that Jonah was spit out. God saved me. It's far more than I deserved. I ran from the love of God, but His 
Love is unoutrunnable. What grace has overwhelmed my heart? So let's end with asking us this question. What will capture our hearts? What will bring us personally and corporately from the depths to revival? What will bring us from death to life? There's only one way. It's by beholding the grace of God in his provision. We saw it in this fish, but Jesus tells us that this is the sign of Jonah, that God has appointed one to rescue us from the punishment that we deserve. The Bible tells us that Jesus took the wrath of God that we deserve. He went to the depths of the grave only to have the grave spit him out. And all who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ have Christ in them. And the grave can do nothing other than spit you out for Christ has overcome sin and death in the grave for you. You deserve sin and death and the full wrath of God, but God has swallowed you up as it will, as you were. You are now in Christ. You are swallowed up in Christ. As the ark brought Noah through the sea, as the fish brought Jonah through the sea, he has brought you through Jesus Christ through the sea of God's wrath to put your feet on solid ground that you might know that salvation belongs to the Lord. Don't you want others to taste and see that the Lord is good? I hope so. I hope so. Don't you want others to know that there is no depth so deep that God's grace cannot go deeper still? Don't you want other people to know that there is more mercy in God than sin and running in us? That we cannot out-sin God's grace. And when that captures our hearts, we will say, God, wherever you lead, I'll go. Let's pray.